Hello everyone. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9 verses 18 to 27. So please turn with me in your Bibles or devices um, or just look up on the screen behind me. Luke 9, beginning at verse 18. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Matt, if I haven't met you before. I'm one of the student ministers here at church. It's great to be with everyone this morning uh, and great to be with those online as well. Now, speaking of good deals, I think, you know, we all make lots of deals in our lifetime, whether we think about them much or not. I think a lot of the ones I really remember are when I eat food and I've got a good deal by trading something bad, like at school, you'd trade a you know, a piece of fruit or a Vegemite sandwich for a packet of chips or a snack or, you know, something delicious like that. Maybe for you guys, you've, you know, traded in cars and, uh, or bought cars or sold cars for more than they're worth or less than they're worth, depending on um, whether you're selling or buying. Maybe a house, you bought a house for really cheap in comparison to what you thought it was worth. Maybe you make deals with your kids to do the dishes and give them, you know, 10 cents on the side and they have no idea, so you exploit them with a deal that's good for you but bad for them. <laughs> I don't know what it is for you, your best deal, but for me, one of the most memorable deals I made was when I was playing Monopoly with my siblings. Now, I'm quite competitive and my family gets a bit competitive when we play, but I remember I was really struggling in this game. I was starting to... Um, lose money and I needed to do something to get back in the game. 
And so my poor little sister became uh, the person who I decided I would target to get back in the game. And I traded her a property that I needed and I gave her a property that was of no use to me. Now, it looked good for her. It was the electricity company. She had the waterworks. Combining them seemed like it was great for her, right? For me, all, all she was giving was a red property. I had two other red properties. It was good for me, useless for her. Seemed like we were both getting a pretty good deal and I convinced her that she was coming out on top. But little did she know I'd done the math. I'd worked out what it was going to happen, how much money I would gain from this card compared to how much I would lose from giving up mine. And what happened? Well, of course, I'd monopolised the board and I won. And she was exploited and she had no idea until it was too late. And, you know, I kind of feel sorry for her, but at the end of the day, that's on her. <laughs> that's why I won. And that's really what matters, isn't it? No. But I think what makes a good deal is you get more than what you give up, right? Uh, there's lots of deals that look good on the surface, but in the long run, actually, you lose out over time. And there's other deals that look quite average at the start, but as they progress, then you get a lot more than what you gave up. And sometimes you're deceived into making deals, sometimes you're tricking others. Well, today's passage, we're going to see that uh, Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we're asked to give up everything. And yet what we receive is so much greater than what it costs. And you see, Jesus, he doesn't trick us into doing this. No, he lays it all on the line and asks us, to take up his offer. So have our pray, and then we'll jump into the passage together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read it and learn from it. Lord, help us to have ears to hear this morning. Help us to come away from today loving you more and seeing how we can serve you with our lives. Lord, please help me to speak clearly and faithfully from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as you hopefully know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Walking with Jesus. And we're looking at some of the interactions that the disciples, Jesus' followers, had with him. And we're seeing that as we, as followers of Jesus, how we are to respond in our own lives. Now, we pick up the story with the disciples here in Luke chapter 9. And at this point, all the disciples have been called, all 12 of them. And these 12, plus lots of other people, have seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. They've seen Jesus teach, they've seen Him bring dead people back to life, they've seen Him um, calm storms, conquer demons, and so much more. And just before this passage, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And so Jesus, He's the word on the street, right? Everyone's talking about Him, everyone's thinking, what is this guy on about? How is he doing these things? He's the word on the street. If there were newspapers back then, the headline would be, Jesus, who is this man? And that's the question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who do the crowds say I am? What are the people saying about me? And we see then the disciples answer Jesus. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the ancient prophets. The crowds, they're thinking that Jesus is one of the great men of God who's come back, into, come back to life. Maybe come back from the dead as John the Baptist who had recently been killed. Maybe come back from heaven as Elijah who was taken up to be with God. Whoever they think he is, they know that he's a powerful man who's 
doing some pretty amazing things. Now, how about if we were to ask that question today? What if we were to say to the people of Toon Gabby, who do you think Jesus is? What are some of the answers that people might say? Feel free to shout them out. What, what are the common responses to that question, do you think? What are people reckon? Good person, yeah. Prophet, myth, yeah. Yeah. I think good, good teacher, good example to follow, maybe just a lunatic or, yeah, something, someone who isn't even real. There's lots of different uh, things that people say about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus, he then takes the question and asks a lot more personal one. Verse 20 says, But you, he asks them, who do you say that I am? You see, it's easy enough to say what other people think about who Jesus is, right? But Jesus wants to know, who do you say I am? What do his closest followers think of him? And so Peter says, God's Messiah. Peter answers not by saying that Jesus is someone who's come back from the past. Rather, he says, he's the one who has been promised to come. So the word Messiah, it's another way of saying Christ. It's not Jesus' surname, Jesus Christ, like Matt Hearn, but it's like a job title, Jesus the Christ. He's the one that had been promised to Israel. He's the one who Israel were waiting for to come and save them, to make them a great nation and rule the world forever. You see, Peter thinks Jesus is here to come and restore Israel. He wants to rule the world with Jesus. But we see, don't we, in the next few verses that this is not what Jesus is going to do. Or at least, he's not going to do it in the way that Peter thinks he will. Verse 21, But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. You see, instead of this picture of triumph and conquer that Peter was expecting, Jesus paints a picture of sacrifice and death. Jesus says he's about to suffer. He's going to die. And it might not sit right with you hearing this about Jesus. Because if Jesus is the Christ, if he's the promised king that is to come, if he's the one that's meant to reign over all things for eternity, then why is he going to suffer and die? Why doesn't he just come barnstorming into Jerusalem and wipe everybody out? Surely he could, right, if he really is the promised king of God? Well, you see, this isn't why Jesus came. This promise of a victorious ruler over all things for eternity, it will be fulfilled in Jesus, but the way Jesus accomplishes this is not how we expect he does it through his death. And Jesus dies because of our sin. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, this is why Jesus came. This is what it means for Jesus to be king. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus dies on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve to ransom us from our captivity to sin. Jesus, he dies because without his death, we cannot be forgiven. The penalty for our rejection of God could not have been paid. Without Jesus, we would still be under God's wrath. Our destiny would be destruction. Only Jesus, who's perfect and obedient, only his death in our place could, be, could deal with our sin. Only he can restore our relationship with God. So instead of being this all-conquering, all-victorious king, the way Peter and the disciples were expecting, Jesus chooses to humble himself. He chooses to serve rather than be served. He chooses to give up his life for us. He chooses to be obedient to the Father. So who do you say Jesus is? We talked about earlier who the crowd say he is, who the people of Toon Gabby would say Jesus is. But who do you say he is? Because I think this is the question that we really need to answer, right? This is what we have to work out. If Jesus really is the King, if He really did die on the cross in our place, if He really did come back to life, well, it changes everything, doesn't it? If you say that Jesus is the Messiah, if He is your King, well, then it means you will then live with Him as your King, right? It will mean that you obey Him no matter what, even if it means giving up your life. And that's what we see in the next part of the passage, in verses 23 to 27. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, If you say that I am Lord, if you follow me, if you're one of my disciples, then you will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, taking up our cross... This is a phrase that's sort of merged into our common vocabulary, our normal language. And it's come to mean something that is just really hard, isn't it? Something that we have to deal with in our life. That's our cross to bear. That's what it means to take up your cross. Maybe for you, it's having to commute an hour to go to work every day. Or maybe you can't hit a golf ball more than 100 metres because of an old back injury or something like that. It's this tough part of our life, right? Something that is hard. It's our cross to bear. But you see, back in Jesus' time, it wasn't just something tough that you had to deal with. Now, taking up your cross meant to go to your death. Taking up your cross was a common form of public humiliation and execution. When someone was going to their death, the criminal carried the cross up to where he was going to die. People would see this person carrying their cross and they would ridicule him, they would mock him. This criminal was seen as so dead already that he was open to the scorn and shame of the world. 
It's a really powerful image, isn't it? Of self-denial, of accepting rejection, and of suffering persecution. And so as we follow Jesus, we should expect the world to hate us. Taking up your cross in obedience to Jesus is being willing for people at work to shame you. For your neighbours to mock you when you try and tell them about Jesus. It's not something to take lightly. When Jesus asks his followers to take up their cross, he's asking you to be willing to give up your life. Because if Jesus is your king, you don't live for yourself anymore, you live for him. Denying yourself means, taking, means that our own happiness, our own comforts, our own desires are not what we seek. Instead, we put God at the centre of our lives. We make decisions based on what He desires of us rather than what we desire for ourselves. We choose to be obedient to God even if it costs us. It means fighting our sin, listening to the commands that God gives us and living that out. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says to the crowds, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. You see, if you call Jesus Lord, if you really are one of his followers, then you listen and you obey. Now, you don't do this to be saved. Rather, you do this in response to being saved. Because it's not our obedience that makes us right with God, is it? If that were the case, well, we would never get there. And in fact, that's exactly, like I said before, why Jesus had to die. Because we are not able to live in obedience to Him. And yet, Jesus calls us to this extreme obedience. To obedience that costs us our lives. And so we need to ask the questions of ourselves, don't we? Am I willing to obey Jesus? Am I willing to obey the Bible whatever, whenever, whatever, whether I like it or not? Will you honestly fill in that tax return instead of getting a few extra dollars? Will you obey the road laws and the speed limits? Will you stop at that stop sign in the middle of the night when no one else is around? Will you stop yourself from getting angry at someone when they wronged you? When someone asks you about what you think of same-sex marriage, will you tell them what the Bible has to say rather than shying away for fear of rejection? When workmates start uh, talking about your boss and bad-mouthing him over lunch, will you walk away even if you're going to be labelled the self-righteous weirdo? I think for me, when I was at university, this is when it really struck home for me, this sort of thing. Going out on the pub crawls with mates on on a Friday night, it meant saying no to that extra drink when everyone else was telling you to keep going. It meant walking away when you're sitting around and the boys started talking uh, rudely about the girls in our year. It meant paying full price for a steak at Woolworths when everyone else was swiping chewing gum in front of the barcode to make it really cheap. You see, I didn't always get it right. I stuffed up. I made and I still make plenty of mistakes. Because it's not always easy to be obedient. And yet this is what Jesus asks of his followers. How about when life gets tough? 
when we suffer, when we lose loved ones, when we don't understand why God is working the way He is in our life. In these times, are you willing to trust God? Are you still willing to give up everything to live in obedience to Him? When there's pressure on at work to do that extra shift rather than coming to church or growth group. When you're told you're not allowed to speak about Jesus at work anymore. Are you still willing to obey God in those times? This is what Jesus calls us to, a radical, wholehearted obedience. It sounds tough, right? And that's because it is. Jesus doesn't, never says it's going to be easy. He doesn't try and make it seem like a good deal when really he's tricking us. Now, Jesus is upfront. He's not like a car salesman you know, that tells you all these good things about the car and try and convinces you to buy it, but forgets to mention that the engine is about to die. He's not a prosperity teacher that tells you, if you follow me, you'll be healthy and wealthy. Now, Jesus says, following me will cost you your life. You need to deny yourself and follow me as king. And yet, what a king we get to follow, right? Of all the leaders in your life, of your bosses, of the politicians, surely Jesus is the king you want to follow. He doesn't abuse his power. He doesn't make, uh, he doesn't make us do things uh, that yeah, we're not meant to do. You know, He is the King that has given His life up for us. You see, it's still hard, isn't it? In fact, it's such a hard thing to do that none of us will succeed at doing it. This radical obedience is something that we will fall short of. We will fall short because we are sinful. And yet, this is what Jesus asks of us. And this is what Jesus did for us. And as we walk with Jesus, we become like Jesus. Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to give up our life for His sake, because He's already given His life up for us. And so, when we keep stuffing up, when we find ourselves failing and falling short of this obedience that we're called to, then we can look to Jesus, both as the one who gives us comfort and hope, knowing that it is through His work on the cross that we're saved, not through our own obedience, but also as the one who knows what we go through, who is, gives us the example of living the way He asks, because He has done it perfectly in His own life. As we saw last week, as we walk with Jesus, we're transformed to be more like Him. And obedience is one of the ways that this plays out. As we keep looking at what Jesus has done, as we keep making decisions to follow Him and obey Him, He transforms us, He changes us to be more like Him. He grows us in our obedience of Him. Now, you might be thinking, it still sounds like a pretty bad deal, right? We have to give up everything to follow Jesus. Like I said, a good deal is where you get something more than what you give up. But what is there that's more than your life? Is there anything you can gain that's better than that? Well, what we gain is true life. 
Verse 24, 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? When we lose our life for Jesus' sake, we actually gain life. We save our life. We gain eternal life. We gain heaven. We gain a certain hope. And we gain in this life as well. Because when we deny ourselves in the things of this world, when we live in obedience to Jesus, well, we gain a life that has meaning and significance. We gain a joy and contentment that cannot be found by the things of this world. See, when you know what is to come, the rest of this world fades away, doesn't it? What benefit is there in gaining the whole world but losing yourself? What is there in life that's worth hanging on to? Business success, good marks at school or at uni, a big house, a comfortable lifestyle. Maybe it's a good reputation or people liking us or respecting us. Maybe the experience of travelling the world and getting to see all those tourist attractions. If these are the things that you pursue instead of living in obedience to Jesus, then you are forfeiting your soul. I remember doing fire drills at university and at school. And, you know, whenever the alarm went off, the teachers, what do they do? They say, get out. You have to move straight away to the collection area. You're not allowed to stop along your way. You're not allowed to pack your school bag. You can't go back and get your belongings. If there's a fire in your house, there's nothing worth going back in to get that is worth costing you your life for, is there? This is what Jesus is saying. These things that we value, these things in this world, they cannot be swapped for eternal life. When you meet God face to face, what things could you present to Him in exchange for your life? There is nothing that we can give in return for our soul. Nothing we can do, no achievements, no good deeds that are worth our life. But for those who think life, this life is worth holding on to, for those that choose to not be obedient to, who Jesus is, to, to what Jesus asks of us, for those who don't deny themselves, well, Jesus says in verse 26 that he will be ashamed of them on the last day. Jesus says, your decision to follow me, your decision to live in obedience of me, decides everything. When Jesus returns, will he look at you and say, here is one of my followers? Or will he say, who are you? What good is it to have everything else and yet forfeit this? See, Jesus was willing to be obedient even to death on a cross. And that's what he asks of his followers. To give up our lives, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Well, thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we now have the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. 
Lord, thank you that is not nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven, but it is all because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we ask that we will live in light of what you have done. We ask that we will be willing to give up our whole lives for your sake. Lord, help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and to follow you. Lord, we're sorry for when we don't get this right. We thank you that through Jesus we have forgiveness. Lord, please grow us to look more like you. Help us to keep changing, keep being more and more obedient and help us to keep giving up things that cost us for your sake. We thank you that Jesus lived out this life perfectly and that we have uh, this great example to follow and we have someone who helps us uh, to do this when it's tough. Lord, we ask that you'll help all of us at church to keep encouraging and spurring each other on to live in obedience to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.